welcome to this panel on shooting for visual effects. Uh, I'm Jackie Moonvest, I'm a DP, um, and I've assembled all these super, super talented filmmakers to talk about the bond between the visual effects supervisor and department and the DP. Uh, both teams are really, really integral in creating these immersive images for all of our productions. And I want to delve into and demystify the working relationship between those two departments. So I'm just going to throw it straight to uh, our panelists right now to talk about, you know, give yourself an introduction, your background, um, what's your career in your department, and uh, what are some of your notable projects. Um, Rob, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah. Um, hey, everyone. Um, my name is Rob Hodgson. I'm CD and visual effects supervisor on the advertising side at uh, MPC in the LA studio. Uh, I've worked freelance and staff at uh, post houses, working on the box and, and on set for many years in features, commercials, long form, um, and uh, stints of directing, second unit directing, things like that. I've worked on a bunch of uh, unnotable projects, but I, I was, my note was just talk about notable projects. Um, and so I guess some of those, I worked on uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, American Beauty, Inception, uh, X-Men First Class. Uh, and again, I did a whole bunch of unnotable stuff as well. We won't mention that. Um, so yeah, I started in commercials, worked on uh, a lot of features for many years, and now I'm back working on the commercial side. Cool. Uh, let's go to uh, Jesse. Hi everyone, I'm Jesse Amadio. I'm a VFX supervisor at MPC New York. Um, I'm more on the CG side of things. I came with a background in CG lighting uh, and now more recently I'm doing shoot supervision. Uh, my entire career has been in commercials for advertising uh, and I've worked in LA, London and, um, and now New York. My uh, notable projects as far as commercials go uh, would probably be the John Lewis Christmas commercials, which at least in the UK are um, are pretty widely widely viewed. Cool, um, Ali, you want to talk about uh, your VFX experience? Yeah, of course. Hey, everybody, I'm Ollie Caden. I'm co-head of Nuke and VFX supervisor at MPC Los Angeles Advertising. Um, I started as a runner uh, back in uh, MPC London uh, many moons ago, and then uh, found my way into the compositing department um, and worked my way up from there. Um, I've been in LA for about five years and haven't been over here and, and kind of started uh, comp supervising and then kind of going into visual effects supervising. Uh, one of my biggest or latest projects would be uh, something we just finished up at the beginning of this year for The Last of Us Part 2 launch film, which was um, internally directed and fully uh, produced through uh, NPC advertising, which was, um, yeah, super fun, fun spot. Awesome. And uh, let's hear from our DPs. Um, Alex, you want to talk about stuff? Sure. Um, my name is Alex Dissenhoff. I'm a DP and I come from the narrative world mostly. I started in indie films and worked my way, kind of did a bunch of those and, and, and found myself in the high-end TV and, and studio world uh, a few years ago. And um, I did the, uh, the Exorcist for Fox. That was kind of my introduction to the, the studio system. And then I uh, did movie uh, Captive State and Code 8, and then kind of most recently my TV stuff has been, um, I, did, I did the finale of Watchmen for HBO and some of Legion and uh, Mosquito Coast for Apple, which is coming out, hopefully, well, who knows when, so, yeah. Cool, and uh, Greg. 
Hi, everyone. So uh, Greg Gardner, Greg Gardner, the DP. Um, I think I'll start this. I like to say all these years, it's still the same, I, that I'm one of the very experienced, very diverse DPs that no one knows. Uh-oh, did I just drop off? No, no, no. <laughs> you're good, you're good. You see? It did just completely drop off my screen. <laughs> I'll just talk to the camera. That's so interesting. I like this. I can't see anyone. Um, <laughs> we can see you. So it's kind of, it's a light joke, but it's true, which is how I've dedicated my life. It's like, at the time when I'm on a show, I'll go, do you know who I am? And poor people are like, no, no, I'm not sure. I go, that's okay. <laughs> but um, let's see, I had to write it down, but it kind of goes, you know, I came out of uh, lighting, my degrees in theater. I was a gaffer for about eight years, worked on lots of interesting movies. Uh, in television, I have probably over 200 hours of published television. I think features, there's about 30 to 35. 14 of those are photochemical. I'm kind of proud of that. Back to the film days of all complete film finishes. And it's strange to put together a notable project list because it just always is. They kind of identify part of your world. But Suture is, of course, this black and white film. I did one of my first taught Tim Courage, one Sundance. And okay, that's a great start, but <laughs> it just takes forever. So then um, there's Men in Black 2. Everyone knows Elf. I love my family movie. She's the Man. It's a comedy that I shot that's been very influential around the world and the game plan. And, and uh, in the last 10 years, I've done things like The Best Man Holiday and Girls Trip, which are very important films to me and uh, huge successes. And at the same time, I had a film at Venice called The Journey that I'd gone to Ireland and shot for less than $5 million. And I actually shot about a year or so ago, a very small movie, a little over a million dollars called Butter that is on um, teenage suicide prevention. <laughs> it's also disguised as an entertaining movie. And it's been out just in a number of awards uh, that are really important, uh, small categories, believe it or not, and, you know, uh, virtual film festivals in New York, uh, meaningful films, kinds of things like that. It was really cool. But the point is that I kind of dedicate, the other little joke, my life is with producers, it's like you sort of name it, I kind of work in it, small films and big films. And that's on that MPC, and we did Kirby, which is a very, very small, interesting project. Uh, notable visual effects movies, obviously Men in Black 2, Elf is interesting. One of my biggest bombs, The Mask 2, <laughs> Herbie, Race to Witch Mountain, Hotel for Dogs, Marmaduke, we'll talk about dogs. So that's it at the moment. Let me see if I can get my Zoom back up. Awesome. There you are. <laughs> so let's yeah. get into it. Um, I'd love to talk about, you know, starting with pre-production and all the way through post. Um, you know, what's your working relationship with the other department? Um, how do you manage who's in the driver's seat? And um, you know, what's your working relationship as a partnership with the director? Um, who wants to chime in? I'd be good. I'd be good to dip my toe into that one. Uh, and again, this is, you know, I think everyone has their own experience and their own feeling on this. So a lot of it is, is one's own opinion here. But um, one of the things just to quickly relate, I think here is that there is, is quite a difference between working on in the commercials world and working more in sort of long form, uh, particularly as far as working relationships um, on commercials, um, as far as developing relationships with 
uh, with DPs, often that happens. Uh, the first time we meet them is two days before we start shooting uh, on a scout. Um, and at that point, most of the time, it's their first, their first day on the job also, quite often. Um, so developing relationships is, is definitely tougher. I find in commercials just because of the, 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 the turnover as it is with the, <clears throat> as it is with the director, um, with a, with long form, of course, one has this, this time you can develop the relationship over months. And, uh, obviously it's, um, you know, that obviously is, is, is a great setup. Um, I was going to say the question that you said, how do you manage who's in the driver's seat? I was looking at it, that it's the, the director and the DP are in the driver's seat. And uh, we're in the, in, the, in the passenger, how's that? Um, I think that the visual style I know is in the question when developing a visual style of the director. Um, I think a lot of it depends on how, how much of a visual effects project uh, it is. Um, but I always think that th the way I look at it um, uh, is, you know, I love photography. I love working with great directors of photography. Um, and it's always, I feel like, what we try and do is to weave our visual effects into the style of the director and the director of photography are setting out. Obviously, that also includes production designer and, and all of those. Um, so uh, I think that where we work closely with it, and I think it depends on the, the project, the personalities involved as to, you know, how, how involved and how much you're allowed in the driver's seat on, on these projects on, from the visual effects side. Cool. Uh, anybody else want to weigh in on this? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Sorry, go. On. You go, Alex. No, no. Please, all you are. All you are. <laughs> I was just going to reiterate Rob's point of yeah, exactly. How how large uh, a visual effects project is it? Are we just painting out a few boom poles and reflections? If so, then like we're kind of definitely backseat. We're not getting involved too much. We don't really want to kind of be influencing um, too many kind of creative decisions in that role. But if it's a much larger kind of creature-driven CG creature, CG anything else, or or kind of much more involved where we um, We'd like to kind of put our own spin on things and yeah we would kind of want to be working much more with the directors and the dps and making sure we're all kind of pushing in, in the same direction and again i think rob makes a really good point of we're often not meeting dps until scouts or we might have a few emails or a couple of calls before the scout and then it's kind of pretty much straight into the shoot um and it, and we're not kind of able to drive relationships in that regard because agencies come to us to create uh, content for them and they've picked out their kind of team so dps are, are kind of us and dps were, were a few points of separation away from each other um so it can definitely be a little harder to to kind of um be able to create those relationships but then working in los angeles i think i've realized over the five years i've been here how kind of small the industry is here and and just going on shoots um the more you go on them the, the kind of you see the same faces over and over again and you kind of really get to see the, the same people that you're working with and in that regard i think it's it's pretty cool to be able to um, keep keep those relationships going and and uh, bring bring the things you you do to the next project with the same people which is great um i'd like to add to, uh, you know from a perspective from the long form side um because it, while I think it is true in the short form where there are those kind of points of separation, just purely from a political point of view, like you said, Ollie, you know, you're, you're being hired by an agency usually, and the DP has nothing to do with it. Um, I find that on, on long form projects that require heavy visual effects, um, that the visual effects supervisor, I, I like to get involved with right away and they become, you know, as close of a collaborator as my gaffer, you know, or key grip, uh, because 
ultimately they're going to be overseeing how good my work looks later on, you know, and, and, and I want to be able to establish a, a common ground to stand on and a common goal. So we both understand like what I need to provide them, you know, and, and what they may need, you know, what I might need from them. And uh, so I think that relationship uh, in the long form world is actually, you know, you, you get on the ground floor with them, like, much like you would with the production designer or gaffer or key grip. And, you know, you obviously the director is the one that drives the ship and every project is different, obviously, and, and, and every script is different. So you have to let those elements guide how you actually, you know, achieve what you're trying to achieve but i think it's like the, the communication from the very very beginning between visual effects and myself and my lighting and grip teams just so important just to jump in so uh it's interesting to hear this already and ollie but commercials are obviously a different beast <laughs> i'm much more along the segment with alex and um it's more I just want to like lighten the relationship, which is it's more, we're all filmmakers, honestly. And and what's really interesting is the big giant movies have a, I think a little more structured relationship than what you'll continually hear me talk about. The kinds of things I pull off sometimes on small movies. And that's where you can't do it without visual effects. You, you can't speak to a director or a producer and say, hey, we could do this and this without like having first like brought in the visual effects team and say, hey, how can we do all this, <laughs> right? Let's figure this thing out because we don't have the money for such and such. So let's, that's what's really fun. So yeah, you, you just need, I do think with this webinar, which is cool, is that those relationships should be advancing like more and more, which just get closer and closer together all the time. and. Uh, I like your driving analogy. I used to drive pickup trucks for years, but I love the ones with the bench in the middle. <laughs> there is no backseat. We're off and the director can drive the visual effects and myself are sitting in the bench. And probably visual effects is in the middle, just to right between the two of us. <laughs> All right. That's, that's great. Or, or maybe as long as visual effects isn't by the passenger so you can get pushed out at any time. Oh, at no. <laughs> Um, just as a sort of segue, um, you know, your job together is to basically make these images believable to the audience so that they're not seeing, you know, how the sausage is made. Um, so just, you know, in, in your opinion, like what makes an image believable? What sells it to people? Lighting. No. <laughs> well, it's very much that. I mean, like I said, I started uh, as a CG lighter and in, especially for VFX commercials, as opposed to animation, like my job was to mimic everything that the DP had put into the plate as accurately as possible and looking for those details from the lens, um, from the lighting, um, all of the little things that the DP has put in for a reason, like we have to find what those things are in CG and make sure that that's added to what we're putting into the plate so that it's all matching and we're following through on the look that was established by the DP. And in those situations, is a lot of that kind of almost adding in imperfections into the VFX? Yeah, very much so. Um, nothing is perfect, even a newly produced 
cell cellular device uh, is not going to look absolutely 100% perfect. Uh, so from when it comes to asset creation, for sure, we add in some imperfections. Um, but then when it even comes to the camera, you know, there's a good reason that a lot of uh, people choose to use these really old you know, vintage lenses, you know, they just add quality that, um, that has a really naturalistic feel or a cinematic feel, the things that uh, I know we perceive as beautiful and, and putting that into the very pristine CG um, makes it all feel uh, integrated. I'd also have to note that I, I think that there's something, I think that's totally right. It's, you know, as a cinematographer, we're always looking how to create images that feel true to the story we're trying to tell. And I think that's ultimately what we're trying to do with visual effects as well. Some projects require more realistic effects than others too. I mean, that's the other thing is, you know, it's not always, I do think most of the time it's about creating something that's as real look, you know, real feeling as possible. Um, but not always in a way it's like, um, it needs to just feel right for the, the story. And, uh, you know, so sometimes that might mean it's more cartoony uh, or, you know, over the top. Other times it should feel so invisible that, uh, you know, um, that you don't even know it's a visual effect. And I think that's part of the discussions you're, you know, you wanna make sure you have before you're shooting on the day to understand that, um, you know, what everyone's going for. Because, you know, I think there's, there can be situations where you know, you're, you're shooting for something, you're lighting it in a certain way, uh, and you have one expectation, you need to make sure that, you know, you, you think it's going to look uh, photo real, but, but, you know, the, maybe the visual effects artist has been given a, a, a brief that it should look a little bit more, you know, bombastic and cartoony or whatever, and, and then it ends up not looking right. And so I get, it just depends on the story you're trying to I was, I was going to say, I was going to say, I think uh, uh, that there's also that that point here where I think probably most of the work that we do is supposed to be, so it looks like we've done nothing. Uh, and so I think where visual style and things oh, are concerned, God. it's kind of no real visual style from our point. It's more how do we match into what's been shot, as Jesse said. Uh, or these beautiful lenses. If we're if if we now have to recreate lens flares, we'll take the the original footage and the lens flares from the right lenses and add those back over. Um, and uh, so so I think it's yeah it, it's basically I've done whole movies when you should walk out and everyone goes why is there even a visual effects supervisor on this um, because there's you know nothing's been done. I mean I think you know when we get to our you know, you mentioned Kirby before where, where um, um, you know, it, it, that basically was one where it should look like nothing's been done to this. Um, and, you know, all of that, I think there is an understanding there of we need to understand where lights are, how cameras move, things like that. But really the end, the, the end goal is just that it looks like we've done nothing to it. And I think that's, I think it's probably over half of what we do um, that is that. Um, yeah. So Oops. Can we actually like talk about some of like the invisible work that y'all do? Um, you know, like erasing telephone poles, cleaning up skies, something that, you know, is as integral to finishing the look of a project as say, you know, your color grade is. What is all the stuff that you guys are doing that we just totally don't see and we don't notice? I mean, what percentage of a project could that be? I think it can go from- Jackie, 
Go on, Greg. Sorry. I just made it way quick because I want to finish with, with this relationship because I, I did say lighting, but that was, of course, that's a tremendous part of it. But what I'm going to keep iterating to everyone listening is what makes the effect real? What makes it fit? It, it, if we can get back to the point where we're conceiving these things way up front with a director, because you can go, hey, that can become a visual effect shot. And, but should it be moving? <laughs> you know, so we're not just cutting to a split plate you know, or something like that. And you know, a simple two head memory shot is affordable and it makes, helps effects slip into the scene. Those are the kinds of elements that need to happen way up in the front of the discussion. And so I'm gonna keep talking about the, that collaboration. Like the more we're doing that, it's not, you know, lighting is part of, uh, of course, making it succeed, <laughs> but it's the concept that starts it all. That sound good? It's a great point, yeah. Definitely. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, go for it. Uh, all the invisible, nitty gritty, you know. I mean, I there's so many things, it's kind of hard to pick a few, but like obviously there's always production cleanup or seams of sets or set extensions or any of those kind of things. There's uh, head reps if, if the agency or the director like a, a, a performance of a head from one shot where they like the body performance from another those kind of things those are usually a bit fiddlier um, if they haven't been shot for a very specific reason so there's also a lot of kind of 911 things that come in through the edit that nobody's even thought about and hasn't we haven't like just uh, or kind of shot it in a specific way to get the desired result so there's a million and one things like that that come through um, we do a lot of kind of car reskinning where there's They've shot a 2020 model, but they, the new 2021 trim of the car is slightly different. So we're going to reskin the car, the CG, and, and use an existing spot. So I think there's there's just kind of there's no limitation in, in what we're asked to do. To be honest. Um. Yeah. Go I was, for it. Yeah, I was I was going to say that there's the, there was an example that we did uh, a few years back, uh, which was where it was a, a very there's a lot of computer generated uh, um, uh, robot arms. Uh, around a car, we, we, we did all of that. Uh, it was very uh, complex and um, a, a lot, of, basically it was one angle had all of this visual effects in. And uh, two years later, we were asked to then replace the reverse, which was non-visual effects because the talent needs to be switched out for contractual reasons. So we went back in and it's, it's like, okay, so we've done all of this work and we did 90% of it. And uh, so here was the invisible thing where no, this talent that has nothing to do with the visual effects scene now needs to be switched out. So we went through the whole process of retracing our steps. Um, and uh, so I, I think that's one of the things that's, uh, you know, one of the reasons you'll see the visual effects supervisor out, out on set uh, during lunch breaks, taking stills of absolutely everything and taking measurements of absolutely everything, uh, maybe LIDAR scans uh, for not only what, what the, the work is, but also trying to get second guess all the eventualities down the road as to what could possibly need to be done. Um, and it, it can be literally to the point of, no, we actually just decided we just don't like the set. So we have to change the complete set. We just, you know, you, you think it's going to be, well, everyone can see the sky's a little overcast. Can you change the sky? It's kind of like that's, that's sort of the no brainer thing happens every day, but, but it does literally get to the point. And I, I think the point of, one always thinks of what the most absurd thing you've been asked to do, and then that actually happens. And so you go, okay, what, what is the, I can't now think of what is the most more, even more absurd thing. Um, and the great thing is that, that we can do it very much up front, but you know, where, where 
you know, it's, it's, if someone needs it done, if a client needs it done, then, then, you know, we, we do our best. But so what we try and do is when we're on set, we try and capture all of those pieces for any eventuality um, that we can then, whatever we're replacing the set with will match with the lighting. Oh, we've got some stills from set. That's where the light was on this. If we have to recreate it, um, maybe we took some global illumination stills to be able to do some CG elements to go in there that weren't even bored. It was never on the horizon. Things change, you know, in commercials they do in features during during the editing process and post production process, and uh, so we we just try and be prepared with uh, with all of that because yeah, it can start off. Can you just get rid of the you know the telegraph poles and change the sky, and then it can be let's change all of the mountains. Actually, let's just put a town back there, um, you know, further down the further down the road. It's all happening. <laughs> Um, this hair that keeps sticking out, Rob. That one's there. There it goes. <laughs> um, I actually just want to ask you about this specifically, since you've shot so many comedies, and those are movies that you know. I think, sort of what Rob was talking about, it's things where you're like, well, what is the visual effects supervisor doing on this stuff? Um, you know, what's your perspective as a DP from shooting movies where people, you know, a lot of people they just think of VFX as like explosions and monsters, but like, uh, you know, from a comedy perspective, what are you seeing there? I think I think the head of your question was what is it? It was what uh, what kinds of effects have been done that were not noticed, and I wanted to go well, all of them. Seriously, I'm hoping, <laughs> you know, it's like cleaning out poles and wires, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I think the best example that you might be referring to a tiny bit. It's like we for a while there was a big run of dog movies. I love shooting dog movies. You know, I got invited to shoot the dog in a hotel for dogs. And then I think that led to Marmaduke, which is which was our attempt to do babe and wasn't quite as successful, but it's very beautiful. And um, there's more, let's <laughs> just put it that way. We shoot a lot of Disney movies, you're always gonna have a dog. They literally put a dog into Race to Witch Mountain, the head of the studio, because it's not, a, he's literally like, you can't, he can't go through the story without a dog. <laughs> dog in the game plan, et cetera, et cetera. So you get really good at shooting with dogs. But when you look at those movies and those shots, dog, it, they're fantastically fun to work on. They have tons and tons of motion control shots, tons of memory head shots, tons of split screens not just removals of dog's marks and, tra and trainers, but there's, there's, it's like a, the sit down with a visual effects team and a trainer is so much fun. And then most of the time you're, after a while you get to know the dog trainers and they're like, I don't know if we can do that. It's like, ah, oh, come on, Mike, we did worse than the flood control channel with the great thing. This is just a chihuahua swimming across the swimming pool <laughs> and they have to remove wires or whatever it is, but, but, it's so much you can't get there are I did send some stills whenever we want to get to them there one shot is a nine pass shot one's a five pass shot all in a simple memory head that that I own because I love once you've got a simple two two axis memory head you can do all kinds of shots on on people's shows that don't have the money to do them but you can't literally tell a dog to chase another dog <laughs> you have to they don't do that. They're like, see that black dog? Not the white dog, just chase the black dog. Everything has to be separated. And you get to figure out like, what's gonna drive this shot? Well, it's the faster dog. So you run the shot with the slower dog <laughs> and like a split, moving split, traveling split. So you're actually panning with these dogs, but then you have to get the second, now you memorize the shot with one dog, now you get to get the second dog to fit into that shot. That's always fun, <laughs> trying to, trainers are everywhere. You're always allowing for where trainers are and how you're gonna clean them out. They're everywhere. Just 
they're hilarious to watch dailies and see 30 trainers going, sit, 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 stay, move, look here. <laughs> it's fascinating to watch. All those shots are visual effects, like all of them. So I think, I was just going to say, I think one of those things, Greg, is is what I've seen over the years is is the sort of the understanding of the process um, uh, uh, where uh, there was a time when no one wanted to get into, oh, we can't afford to do a visual effects shot to the point where, oh, they, they can paint anything out. So it was people would leave all kinds of <laughs> stuff unset. Oh, it's a visual effect. They're going to paint it out anyway. But I think it's now now at a point where all of this is, you know, YouTube. You can look at makings of. You can you can see the kind of process. So I now there's a, I think there's generally a, a really healthy efficiency about it, where it's everyone can see. Oh yeah, we can move the you know we can move the the the, the camera box. Oh, we, we just move that out. That's just sort of standard practice as to what you do. We all know. Okay, that thing back there, which really is a move. Okay, you could move it, but it'll take twenty minutes. It's like we don't have 20 minutes. You guys can paint out. Yes, you can paint it out. It's kind of like the wires, as you're saying with, with uh, Greg and, and the trainers. It's like, I think everyone now gets, if the wire goes behind the person, it's relatively easy to paint out. If the wire goes slowly in front of the person, okay, that's really hard. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, okay, there's a logic now that everyone gets to it. Uh, even if they're starting out and said, no, well, you, you can see that. I mean, there, there were points years ago, people would say, well, this wire going in front of a person's face. Yeah, well, it's green. So can't you just, it, that's easy to get rid of, right? I go, it, that is it, the, 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 the logic I think people now understand. And uh, it's, it's just mainstream. So um, it gets through an efficient, I think an efficient point. It's very rare where it's just, oh, those guys can paint everything out. Um, uh, but it, it, it was that at one point, so. From a storytelling point of view too, I think, um, you know, do, if you're doing a lot of location shooting, kind of go piggybacking on this point, it, it, there is a certain efficiency. People do understand now, you know, um, how useful a tool it can be to, for, just from a, you know, as a cinematographer, you're, you found your frame and you're like, this is the best frame to tell the story. Uh, but there's this one, you know, stop sign and 30 feet in the background if, if that just wasn't there you know and and um that's where now there's this understanding everyone says okay you know what that's that's easy we'll take care of that or you know with the rise of drones i've found you know so many times where you're like okay we're gonna do this great huge drone shot of a, you know this big area and, and in pre-production you know okay but we either have to clear the entire company out you know uh, ahead of time, move the trucks, whatever, or, you know, put them in one area, make sure nothing's crossing in front of them or whatever, and, or, and then just take that and paint it all out. And, and again, it's just about a production efficiency and then all these unforeseen things that happen on location when you're shooting. It's, oh, there's, oh, I've never been on a show where there's less visual effects than planned. There's always more visual <laughs> Because that's, I mean, but that's what filmmaking is. Things come up and you have to adjust accordingly and you try to get everything in camera, but the fact that the, the tools now are there where you can, you know, uh, I don't feel bad about asking the visual effects supervisor, unless it's this, you know, a crazy thing. Like you said, if there's a wire crossing in front of our town's face, well, okay, you know, that's a whole nother, ball of wax but but if there's a stop sign that's down the street that is just annoying me um you know 
you, it's something you guys can do. And, and it's such a great tool for totally. us. And yeah. I think with like, when it comes to building the relationship be between the DP and the VFX supervisor, it can kind of, it can go both ways where VFX is more than happy to say, yeah, we can take that out, especially if it's going to save 30 minutes of production time. But then, um, because we can't actually do everything, it's not like an endless list of stuff that we could possibly accommodate. So when it comes to a point where the DP can say, can someone throw a plastic garbage bag over that light so that we don't have to paint it out? It's like, wow, thank you so much. It like, yeah. it just builds, I think, a lot of trust and cooperation on the set when, when something is easy yeah. for one department to be like, no problem. Right. Yeah, always the goal is to do it in camera, but if we can't, you know, then we leave it to you guys. <laughs> The thing I would like to jump in on is um, lower budget thinking of opportunities of of asking them to paint out, but on a more serious on a on a more important level. Because so I did a Netflix movie last. I was, was able to shoot during COVID, um, but we didn't have a lot of money. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> it was just tough. Really, the things we wanted to do. But the director wanted. We had a sunrise shot. A shot at sunset. Uh, on this island and very intimate scene with the two actors. So right away, Alex, you'll love this, but the pitch was, okay, how do we get this? And the sun's supposed to be rising throughout the shot and we're gonna cross shoot it. <laughs> it's like, okay, because I find everybody can jump in. There's always things, you know, this is what the director photography is about that producers and directors are waiting here. Like, how are we gonna do this? And you're putting your neck out there all the time. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, the way to achieve it was, and this is for no money, but the point I'm getting to was that we'll cross shoot this, we'll get the wide shot with the thing, but that shot is going to see those two cameras because we're shooting them all at once, right? Because it's sunset, it's going down, but we'll come back and we'll erase those cameras later on another day. And everybody's like, what? But it's funny how many people don't think that way. And it's like, yeah, it's like, we'll register the camera because you do a lot of this at dog units, right? Where you have to register the camera in space. And they had all these detailed positions where the camera was. And, um, and it was just a way to solve this thing. Of course, then he asked for one more camera. He wanted a two shot too. So we ended up with four cameras on that and we raced three in the entire crew. I haven't seen the put together yet, but it should be fine. We had to come back on a separate day because one of the cameras was in the water on the platform and everything. So there's no way we were gonna get that out of the way of a wide shot. And um, it was just, it's a very simple cleanup in a way. And I just have some stills. We did it on our evening off or one day off on Saturday and the stills show two producers out there raking the beach for us. That was cleaning up the sand. <laughs> it, was, it was literally a camera assistant and myself and uh, this one local kind of supervisor, which was cool. We sat there and shot all through another sunset but it's that kind of thinking that I like to keep promoting it's like how do you how do you get the scene and start using visual effects in, in a low budget world um I'd love to actually get into some of the um you know some examples of what y'all have done and like unpack how you did them and you know just see like what was the process here for some of your projects uh we'll start We've talked about the Kirby Jenner project. So the, the little bit of little bit of story on that was um, that obviously was on Quibi, RIP. Um, but I gathered it has just heard it. It does have a new lease of life. I heard was it Roku? You were saying just got sold to. Yep. Um, and it's again for people who don't know, it's uh, basically the, the the parody on the the Kardashians. 
um, uh, which uh, Greg and I and actually Ollie all worked on. Um, and uh, it, it was a um, basically done in sort of a commercial schedule, but it was a long form. I think we had 800 shots in the end on that. Um, but uh, I, I think that the thing that I want to bring up that that's again, great experience, great collaboration. We actually had did have a good amount of time to discuss it um, with uh, Rami, the director. And, and uh, so it, it, I think it was, you know, the classic invisible kind of work um, where we were matching in um, uh, a character into existing footage. If people don't know what it is, but it is, you've got 10 years roughly, there was more footage, but 10 years of footage that we were playing with, even little kids when the Kardashians were little. And it was fascinating, but I have ended up doing this. I did a musical four or five years ago. They never have a lot of money. And I, and I ended up on stage with the director. I knew he wanted to do certain things, but the day we were shooting, it was like, he was a Broadway director. He doesn't understand the film world. He kept asking for more and more. And I'm like, all right, we'll try this. We'll move the boat. We'll tip it. We'll da, 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 da. And at the end of the day, I told him, I go, we would have normally done that with a rack of computers sitting here, you know, and it would have been a $5 million day and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we pulled it all off this way. And it's fascinating how much you can do more and more and more. And so the thing that makes Kirby interesting, Alex, and I know you know everyone involved, is that it was done so simply. All the detailed work. Everybody's heart was all in it. And Rami and Mark, who plays Kirby, are fantastic. But when you watch this scene, Jackie, he's just sitting in this kind of little uh, walk-in closet at the Kardashian house, talking with Kendall, who's our stand in there. <laughs> it's like the most non-relaxed everything. And you're like, there was so much thought and effort and design put in to get him into that little space because we were always uh, erasing somebody, right, Rob? We were always, in that case, I think it was Kylie. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. as Rob knows, we had some art department failures, but we never had anything. We were making stuff up, trying to re-back engineer where everything was, um, meaning this is a table that she's leaning on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we're, we just had to, constantly analyze the frames and we still didn't have much time you know it's a very low budget thing and i think my joke is i'm not downplaying how important because then we had a low budget thing again another one on this uikp thing and we put nothing but i put a previous group together with some maya computer operator it was in italy <laughs> that did it for us <laughs> so we could get all every detail we could but on kirby it was interesting because Rob and I and, and Rami and everyone involved and MPC had to do it with no data. Like we're so detailed about our data capturing, right? And we didn't even know what lenses were used. We were constantly trying to go, okay, this is not working out. It's like, let's look at it again, Rob. And it's like, they must be on a 27. We kept thinking this is a 35. We, this look at the way the room is reading and then we'd try it again. But that's what's fascinating about it. It's like, you can do, you can do so much without a lot of information. And then again, back to this one, I had to do this complicated bridge thing. We had lined up something. This is for all the visual effects world. We'd lined up something. We had our data. We sent out a thing on this. It's a rope bridge. We got our plates. The day we were trying to work with them, they just weren't working. And just threw out all the data and lined it up by eye. <laughs> And that's how it was done, right? It just reverse engineered the whole thing and, and it looked great. And 
So I have a question for you guys, actually, for this stuff and for about that lining up by eye. Were you when you were shooting this on the day? Did you have you had the reference footage, obviously, that you were matching it to? Were you able to have a system where you could line it up in, in like and see it on a monitor lined up? Your turn, Rob. Yeah. So uh, we had fantastic video assist on this, which was, you know, uh, uh, really helped us, but it would, it was, uh, it was all mix, mix and overlay. And it was, we were often lining up two different angles uh, on it. Um, but uh, as you're saying, it, it, it was a question of, is the, is the camera, it, it was, is the camera the right, is the right position? Is it the right distance? Is it the right lens? Um, focal length must have been tricky to match. The, the focal length was, was tricky. And then it was also, if you're, of course, all those other things, you start to, obviously, you, you'll figure all this. It's that one, well, they're standing, but uh, Kirby is two inches shorter than, uh, you know, this character, than Chris. Or, uh, you know, the people that we're replacing are different heights. So we take that into consideration. And then, oh, well, they're sitting down. And we don't actually have that chair, but the average is this. So, so there were so many moving parts in this as far as lineup is concerned. Uh, and it was always looking to see where can we compromise on it. And let, let's, if, if we're wrong, let's sure, make sure we're wrong in the right direction. I, you know, there's a table there. Let's not cut off the image. Let's make sure, let's shift the table out. So at least we have the image if we have to move it around. Um, and uh, it was interesting. I mean, we, we theoretically, if you think what the Kardashian show, a lot of it is cameras, you know, on people's shoulders and there's a lot of pans and tilts going on. I think that was one of our saving graces is that there was a lot of stuff which were, the camera was moving, but it was all handheld camera from a standard position. These guys aren't walking through the cam, you know, walking around with the cameras a lot. So a lot of these, we then just figured, well, we'll we, we shoot our elements locked off, track them in, um, shoot, shoot a little wider, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it was the mix and overlay was, was, uh, was huge on it. Um, and we definitely got into a rhythm on it, but, uh, because we were shooting for quite a few days, but yeah, it, it, it was tough, particularly when they're obviously interacting with objects and, uh, right. you know, when you see that and is the reflection, right, is the table, the right size? Well, we don't know how big that table was. So we do our best guess at how big, big that table was things like that. So it, it, it was super cool. The other thing, of course, on this was we were doing this so fast with some of these shots. I think the roller coaster shot was it was a classic one. I think we did that with practical lighting. I think that would probably normally be like an hour shot to shoot, um, you know, visual effects wise. Um, and I think I think we did it in under 15 minutes. Um, wow. And it, it, it very hard shot and uh, it, it just worked great. But I think by then we were we were on a roll with it, and um, you know you, you definitely get into into a groove. Again, advantage of, of doing, you know, it's, this was more of sort of this is a long form project, so you know we got into the groove. We had the right gear, and obviously we had the right people. All of that. Yeah, that thing has, I guess you call it practical. Yeah, it's all, it's interactive lighting, of course. Yeah, but we're yeah. just tracking. He's he's in the shaky roller coaster with. Mom Kardashian. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But 
I don't remember that. So everybody's just watching it, and, and I'm I'm running it on a board myself. But we're trying to like as they go to the roller coaster, it's darker, it's lighter, it's lighter, and they're like watching the shot. Mm -hmm. and bring them in, up, he's all by hand, right? None of it's computer controlled. And everybody's like, mm, right. close. <laughs> Let's try it again. <laughs> but uh, they're um, fun. Yeah. I, so Ali, did you want to weigh in on Kirby at all, or? Um, no, I think I've been said. I'd like to, to jump into uh, Magic of Mini if we can, if everybody's kind of gone through Kirby. Yeah, um, Because I think it's it's another it's another grid kind of case of of purely two D um, compositing work and figuring out lineup and camera and similar of mix and overlays and and um, and and kind of just classic kind of getting it working in camera almost and then green screen compositing. So this was um, a project directed by Calmatic through Pretty Bird with Larkin Cplay um, DPing. Uh, it's for Media Arts Lab for Apple. Um, so we shot this kind of the end of October, I believe, uh, last year. And then it went out for um, for the Thanksgiving time. So it wasn't a huge amount of time. I think from, from having the boards to, to delivering it, I think we had about six weeks, um, something like that. So um, the first kind of half of this is, is relatively simple stuff. It's all kind of in camera. Um, uh, there's bits of cleanup and set design and set sorry, clean up here and there. They wanted to reanimate the scarf here. So kind of little things like that um, that weren't too um, kind of tricky or too time consuming. Um, and we kind of just kind of rocked through it. The real work for us started when we get inside and um, the whole kind of commercial is that she comes home and, and she uh, starts interacting with a little version of herself um, so then we get into kind of miniature gags and figuring out scale, um, positioning of her, trying to find out the ratios between um, cameras and, and scaling, uh, scaling the camera to make her appear the right size for some of the plates. Um, so it was quite a fun version of, of um, having more information than Kirby, because obviously we shot the foreground plates first. We know our lenses, we know all those kind of things. We know the relationship of, of the camera to where little, her, the character's called Little Tierra, so LT is what we called her. So we know the kind of the camera relationships there, um, which we then get to figure out our ratios and expand them out. So I think the ratio was, she's 18 times <coughs> smaller. So we know, <coughs> excuse me, we know if the camera is one inch away uh, at the, for, for the product, uh, or sorry, for the plate shot, that needs to be 18 inches away when we shoot LT on a green screen. Um, so, so we, we had to kind of figure out all of those different angles and, and, and relationships between those things. Um, and then if obviously you're in a finite stage, um, there's only a finite amount of space when, when that scale becomes too large and need to be half a mile away or whatever <laughs> the, the, the calculations tell you, then you've got to get in and then start figuring out your ratios again. And it can be half everything. And does that still line up and work and running over to VT to get stills, to then do some compositing on set to make sure what you've shot at 2 AM, trying to make sure your maths is all correct. <laughs> With a lot of people looking over your shoulder, um, making sure it's all, uh, it's all good. Um, but yeah, it was a fun, really fun project. And, and a very quick turnaround and I think um, I think everybody Larkin was amazing in, in getting everything pretty much in the can straight out of the out of the um, out of the camera it was great awesome and it looks it looks so convincing like there's some really good stuff in there like having the the large uh, airpod uh, production designer jp was amazing he built an oversized airpod uh, sorry a home pod for us so when she's moving around it and touching it and interacting with it we can steal all those real shadows 
um, from it and, and, and little really subtle reflections and, and things coming in front of it that you wouldn't notice really on first playthrough. But then once you take them away or you see it without it, it instantly pops off and, and doesn't work. So having all those things, he built the, um, he was kind enough to, to photograph the real table for us to get the high, the high res textures, blow that up 18 times. So that, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the table she stood on is the actual grain and wood of the real table that she will be standing on. Um, so keeping those reflections again, keeping the wood grain, all that kind of stuff, we can prop her on and, and we're off to the races. It's, it's a real, real fun um, collaboration between production design and DP and VFX to kind of get that stuff working. So cool. It was a, we were shooting basically plates in the woods. Uh, we were gonna, it was for the Harry Potter theme park in Florida. And we were gonna put all these magical creatures into the woods. And I think like in an ideal world, you know, we would have built uh, like maquettes to size, to get the framing. Um, maybe there's, we put a roller coaster through the woods and like maybe we would have built the frame in, in practically so that the space was like determined and that way the director and the DP could have like visualized all of that like in a, a more accurate way. Um, but because that we weren't really able to do that, um, it was, it was a lot of that fell on me as the VFX supervisor because we had, I had been involved with the project for much longer than the DP had at that point because we were doing the pre-production asset builds of the 3D creatures. It, it felt like in a lot of ways that all of that information was living in my head. Uh, and so when it actually came to shooting that, it was a lot of people looking at a very empty space and me going, okay, there's a 19 foot dog here, uh, you know, <laughs> and like running through the woods and acting out how fast all the a fairy moves compared to a, a dragon, you know, and, um, and I, I, so, I mean, the only point there is that there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. Uh, and sometimes it's very simple and a little bit silly, but um, it, you know, depending on the scope of your project, you can definitely do it in a lot of different ways. Sweet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of those as well, you know, I, I look at that and it's great work, by the way, Alex, beautiful, was, was the, uh, you know, as you're saying, I think that, that there's that scale down of doing a 30 second commercial, of course, and we might have a two second wide shot of, you know, if we would do that same scene for Burger King, um, it would be, you know, we have the two second wide shot and then we're cutting into tight coverage, you know, uh, that kind of thing. And then the final reveal. Um, so I think it's, always that thing where we kind of fit to obviously fit to fill with I know Greg is the frame you know, how can we get more for less and I think that the the commercials are that thing yeah yeah we we, we love this we love this and might show the sequence as a reference we want to do this but we're shooting next week um and we've got the two second shot and then we're you know cut tighter of the people who are eating their burgers um and and so I think it's that one where if we depending on the size, it's how much we can then get us the previews of it, how, how we can. And there are, you know, commercials that we actually do get that time. And it's like, that's great. We can get in uh, the remote head or we can get in the motion control or we can even just previews the whole thing so everyone understands it and even do those on, Olu, Olu saying company on set, you know, do those, uh, you know, the sort of end cam setups on cameras, uh, be able to actually sort of, track in previous things so when we do look up and we we can actually have that rough version of the you know the 50 foot dog or whatever in in, in shot um and so it's kind of like okay if we have that we know we have these great tools to do it and then it comes down to so in one week what can we do and then it comes back to our collaboration relationship uh to be able to say 
we can't get this shot, but we can get this shot and we can get this shot um, and, you know, do some concept art or whatever to prove the point or even to then work, you know, ideally and work with the DP obviously he goes, oh, I, I really want to do this dolly shot. That's, that's what's going to make the shot. It's like, okay, let's figure out how we can do that. And our time starts now. So, uh, so, so it's great. It's super great to see the scale of that. Sometimes we do get to, to live in that scale in commercials. Um, oftentimes it's a, you know, a graded version, graded down version of that, but um, yeah. You know, on that note, like how can we as DPs be more mindful of the visual effects department and kind of the other way around? Like what, what do you guys need of each other to work? And, you know, do you have any pet peeves that Kind of Dangerous territory there, Jackie. Well, then keep your answer short. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, is there any, do you have any just like little tips on how to make the communication, the line of communication work as best as possible? Well, I, I think it's, it's all about flexibility on both sides. I think communication and flexibility are the two big things, I think. It's like, you gotta be, you have to communicate as much as you possibly can. And, and again, it depends on the project. But like we already established commercial world, sometimes you just don't have that time to, to communicate beforehand. Um, but then the ability on both, I mean, you know, we're, we're all, as Greg said earlier, we're all filmmakers, right? And, and we're all storytellers and part of kind of the hallmark of filmmaking is, is, is reacting to ever-changing circumstances and, and, and problem solving as, as things arise. And that's, you know, I think, if there was a pet peeve I ha I've had in the past with certain people, which it doesn't happen very often, I feel like I've been lucky, but you know, sometimes they have, people have a rigid set of like, okay, this is how it's going to be done. And this is how it is. But then on the day you get there and well, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's raining because you wanted it to be sunny or whatever it may be. Um, and you have to be able to be flexible, find a new solution, um, and, and, and that comes from my end too, you know, if the visual effects happen, say, hey, you know what, if you just please you can move the camera this way a little bit to, because this will make it look better in the end. And I know this wasn't your original idea. You know, it's a dialogue and it's, it's figuring out, okay, what's the, what's the best way we, you know, that when people watch this on their, you know, iPhones, since that's what they're doing, you know, uh, you know how is it going to look its best, you know? Uh, and it doesn't, you know, you can't have the ego of, of, of sticking to this, you know, some sort of rigid way of, of doing things. I think, I think I just, just to remember one of the things that I, I suggested um, sort of uh, uh, more junior supervisors going out there is to always in the back of mind to have a plan A, B, and C. And yeah. knowing that you go in with your plan A, which is th this is what's on the board and this is, you know, what's going to, this is what we're going to go shoot and everyone's on the same page, but then make sure you're covered with your plan B for, as you say, the weather's no good. The thing doesn't show up. The thing doesn't start the, you know, whatever, or, oh my God, there's, there's a whole uh, creative change going on here. So wherever you can just try and think ahead of it, have your plan B and then, wow, if all of that fails, then you have your final plan C. And, uh, and again, going back to when you see visual effects guys, uh, running around going, what the hell is he doing? Taking pictures of that weird thing from that angle. He may be thinking, or she may be thinking of the plan B and the plan C. Uh, and it's like, can I just get that one plate of this? And uh, it's, 
again, comes back to the trust. We know that you guys are totally on, on the clock. One of the ways you end up being judged is how fast you are as well. It's like, you know, often in meetings, it's like, well, the DP, oh yeah, we love the DP. Oh, and he's fast. It's, it's kind of like you're judged by, you know, one, we're all judged in, in, you know, various criteria, but that's one of them. So if you're getting a whole bunch of plates that the visual effects guy's whining about, you're kind of like, oh, really? We obviously try and get, keep that to an absolute minimum and also let you know way in advance. And I think that's the other thing that I would always say to the guys going out there is just let the DP know in advance as what, to, to what you're thinking. And so that if there is that point where, you know, something's, I just have to get that plate, then there's an understanding. This isn't just a, oh, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to get that? It's like, do you need it or do you not need it? I think that's the other, other thing I look is with the flexibility is always try to be super tangible and super clear and direct with the answers. Yes, I need this. Yeah. I have yeah. to have this. Uh, it, it's just enough, enough said, let's get it. The, the, I always think it's the phrase, and it might be the English in me, of the, wouldn't it be nice to get, you know, wouldn't it just skirt around the actual directness that, that I think in America is, is, is it's, everything's just a lot clearer in many ways. But it's the, no, we need this, or no, we don't need this. That this might be my list of things to get. Things change, but yeah, it's, it's as you say, the flexibility. We really try and adapt to, you know, the, the needs. And also understand, you know, the pressure that you guys are under. Um, you know, time-wise, schedule-wise, everything. Yeah, I think nobody, nobody's going to say it's like you're over-communicating or you're not, you're not saying, uh, you're saying too much or anything. Just making sure that nothing comes up as a surprise for both sides. And and there's that plan. I know you were saying, uh, Rob, about have a plan A, B, and C. And to quote the Mike Tyson thing, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And I mean, <laughs> every time you turn off on a commercial set, you get punched in the face because something's different. <laughs> and and to Alex's point, being flexible, knowing uh, that you can you can, oh, I can take this on. Yeah, that's fine. I can take that off your plate. And you're there to help. Everybody's there to help each other's departments. Nobody wants to put up a roadblock and say no, we can't do that. I want to take things off your plate. That's going to make it easier for you. But I, I'd also like if I, if something comes up, oh, I, I really can't take that like take that on can you like move the camera can we do this can we shoot it this way i think having those um that, that kind of respect for everybody's department no matter who it is and and everybody has 101,000 other things in their heads that they're not sharing with other departments because they, they have their own stuff to get done um and we're all just going to keep pushing forward and, and hopefully everybody's going to get exactly what they need and get home before uh, ot kicks in which the effects <laughs> don't get anyway so it doesn't really matter <laughs> There's so many quick ones from me, but it's not about peeves. Gosh, just listening to everybody talk and, and trying to talk to uh, people that are listening into us. But I think the thing I wanted to say was I go over the years, I go out uh, constantly extra effort to get some kind of an image to a director. <laughs> it's about, we're all talking about our relationship, right? Visual effects and DPs, but it's, um, it's super important to be communicating with my director and and my specific world is about plates and how often we're shooting car work on stage and there's plates for the car works and camera arrays and everything else but i later people that are in webinar listening i could send a couple of clips from all the number of movies i think are releasable that shows even like on little Sometimes you're working with less experienced directors and you're trying to show them, here's what it's going to look like, this is what the plates will look like. And, but we do a very poor man's version of a lineup and a plate and a capture 
with second team just to show what the plates are gonna be. Um, I'd go through a lot of work if I can. I can, this goes back to Roots Mountain. I, you know, I've learned, I like camera arrays, but I've learned if you can get specific shots and the plate unit goes out and shoots those plates for you, the compositing is usually superior. Um, the pet peeve world is, and it hasn't happened lately, but sometimes you'll, the people shooting these plates for you have other agendas. <laughs> and what I mean is it's usually an action, like if you're doing car work, it's an action director and he's like, I don't, they don't, they, and I'll get the plates back and I'll talk to the visual effects supervisor who's out in the unit and they basically have been bowled over by the action director. They're like he gave us an hour to shoot these, right? <laughs> and it's like, he wanted to get back to the action. So my recommendation in, in the world that we are all in, it's like the more when people are gonna go out and shoot your plates, the more you can have a designated plate unit with a, with a visual effects director controlling that unit. It's safer. I've had that happen two or three times. And we had shots where uh, we'd shot the lighting for a late afternoon. We had to shoot and the plates were being shot on the Pacific coast. And a friend of mine had the unit and all the lineups were perfect. We had everything sent, all the data. But they shot in the middle of the day and we'd shot for later because that director wanted to shoot the drive-bys in the nice light, not the plates. And you're like, really? <laughs> they didn't go together very well at all. So when I talk about lighting, it's like, yeah, sometimes it's daylight. <laughs> it's like, we were, we were, really, you know, but anyway. A lot of the times when the only one VFX supervisor gets to go on a shoot and when that second unit splits off, it's just like all hell breaks loose. And we end up picking it apart weeks later in post, trying to figure out what yeah, happened yeah. on the second unit shoot. This is to the producers listening. It's like the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the visual effects supervisor director has to be in charge of the plates, and they have to go when they have to go, <laughs> and stuff like that. So, all right. So, um, I'd love to actually move into Q and A now, um, just so that there's enough time for people to ask questions. Um, so, anyone who wants to ask a question, please uh, put it in the Q and A or the chat. Um, we already have a question from Greg Lefebvre. Uh, As a cinematographer, how often are you involved in the actual post VFX process? Are you ever sitting in on sessions or giving notes? I'll go just jumping fast, Alex, because it's it's always tough. Uh, my recommendation, what I've evolved to, if it, if it can be, is a close relationship with your post-colorist, because we're often somewhere else, at the, especially in that phase. Um, and of course, we love alpha channels, so we can get a hold of <laughs> We, in the DI, we can actually do some coloring ourselves. If we've got alpha channels, you know, we're able to work in the mats. But, um, that's an effective process. Again, it's budget and it's um, producer relationship and stuff. But usually, if, if you're somebody that builds your own LUTs, et cetera, et cetera, and, and you have a good relationship with a colorist in a house, and you can get them to work with visual effects, I think visual effects really loves it. And as they absolutely for them, and they know just about as much as I do, because we've literally worked very closely together on literally the LUTs for that show. That's a very effective process to everyone. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time, but it does with Universal, particularly right now. They support it tremendously and they'll get things in process. Um, it's, it, it's interesting, Greg, because I, I know that in, in the uh, commercials world, we will 
occasionally see the director of photography come into a color session, which is which is which is great. What we find, I think, a little more in the U.S. relative even to the U.K. is that once the the shoot is done, when the shoot is wrapped, it's very common that we actually won't see not only the DP but we won't see the director again. Um, and it's it's uh, a, a, just again in 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 the UK with big visual effects shot, you know, spots, the director will be camped out at the, at the um, you know, post house and will go through and be working with artists sort of hands-on. And over here, I, I think it's schedule-wise, I think it's, there, there are a lot of reasons I think in there, but I know that some UK directors who come over to the US are surprised at how, how different the balance is. Mm -hmm. um, and so, which I think is a, a, a real shame. I mean, we obviously try and keep everyone in the loop as much as possible. Um, I think specifically, as far as DPs are concerned, we know that you guys are off shooting your next spot or you're in Mauritius or, or whatever uh, at, at some of those criti critical beats. Um, but, it, but it does seem that, you know, it works very well when you have your relationship with the colorist and you get to use the colorist you want and you can come in and have that session. And, you know, even doing that thing, often on the big visual effects jobs, we love it when we can have a, you know, a grade right at the beginning and then, you know, follow up with the final, you know, color tweak at the end with, you know, the visual effects in place. Then that's ideal. We'd, we'd love it when DPs come in and, and come into those color sessions. And, you know, that, that's when it all, all the way it should be. It's yeah, funny. I mean, I, I, oh. And Alex, I want to go to you, I promise, because uh, I represent smaller right now, like, I dedicate trying to do smaller movies and make them happen. But this Netflix movie I love and I'm trying to get it to happen. But the very first thing I got through with Netflix, because I had to go to Mauritius, as he said, was the post house, which was Photocam, just to give them a pitch. It's like it was just interesting because I knew I had to get so much done before I left. And what I wanted to get done was the LUTs, and I think this is all about digital age. In other words, if I can get a really accurate pipeline flow and I've built this with the colors I've worked with and everybody, I know no matter what happens later, whether it's coming out of this post house or that, I, I'm, in, I'm in a grouping. Because it literally was somebody from South Africa came to one of our dailies and went over to South Africa and they were sending me the pics. And it happened to be, it was just funny, the first thing I did was set up a relationship with a post house and got that vendor closed very first before I had a crew. Okay, thanks, Alex. <laughs> yeah, no, I, well, just to kind of add to this, I think that it's important as a cinematographer to remember, it's like we are direct, we are the director of the image, right? And, and the image, it, that means from pre-production all the way through post-production. And that's how I look at my job responsibility, which is that, you know, uh, that is, you know, that final image on the screen that people are watching, that is, my purview and 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 the visual effects are often such a huge part of it it means that i should be able to have uh a, a, a help guide it along whether it's you know uh making sure that it's just matching the lighting or, or whatever it may be and and it's not about like railroading and my making is my idea it's just the idea that being involved is important and but it, it does depend on the project you know i found i found that in the tv world um it's harder to get looped into the, the visual effects uh, pipeline uh, because of the turnaround, you know, speed and, and it's just such a big machine, you know. Um, I've done, I did two sci-fi movies, one called Captain State and it was a, you know, it was modest budget, it was like 30 million bucks, really gritty sci-fi, totally bombed, uh, but it's a cool movie and, 
and we shot it in a way that it had to feel it was it, it, it you know aliens come down and there's a whole thing and um the, with like an occupied america um and i but i have a really good relationship with that director we this guy rupert wyatt um we work together all the time and he made sure like from the very beginning that i was getting to basically approve the the lighting in the visual effects you know and so you know we went through passes and passes sometimes on certain you know shots to make sure that it really matched and and um you know i did another movie called code eight it was very it was a much smaller scrappier film but humongous amount of visual effects um cg robots and all sorts of crazy stuff and um again like if i hadn't been able to be involved it would have been a real shame because it, it's just it is ultimately part of the image and, and if, if i'm going to call myself the director of photography of the image uh, you know, I, I'd hope to be able to be included in that, and it's uh, political often, but but yes, I think it, it's uh, more often than not, I get to be part of it. Cool. Um, we have another, another question from Fleming Larson. Uh, what do you find to be the most frustrating thing to happen on set? Are there some, are there something that always ends up being an annoyance? Hi, um, Fleming. Sorry, I've been, I, I've, I know Fleming from way back. We haven't, I haven't seen him in a decade, but. Decades? <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a decade, a decade. Um, gosh. Now you have to answer it. Mm -hmm. Oh, now I have to answer, oh gosh. Uh, I mean, I think it goes back to the, the um, flexibility thing for me. It, it's like, it, everyone needs to feel like they are trying to solve problems. And if you can't, if you, there, you know, it, it doesn't, I, I feel like I've been very fortunate in my, my career to so far have been able to work with a lot of great people who are filmmakers and are problem solvers. And, and it, they don't just, you know, bitch and moan, but they actually come up with solutions. I think that the, the most frustrating thing that does happen on set sometimes is, you know, you'll have someone, and this isn't just visual effects, this is just overall, you know, people who, you know, complain or, or whatnot, and or there, there's something that goes wrong, and and instead of, you know, trying to be positive and come up with a solution, uh, it's it, there's this kind of digging the heels in and, and, and a resistance to adapting. And I think for me, that's probably the most frustrating part is when you have to say, okay, but this doesn't help us. You you don't you know it's not helpful to to just get. Uh, complaints or, or whatnot it's like let's figure out a way to, to move forward because there's always something that goes wrong right i mean that's just how it is it's the same thing and then i want to jesse i can tell <laughs> but um it's slightly even more of an annoyance because i like we all use the same words for problem solvers and and whether it's a camera operator or a visual effects supervisor people are too quick to alter the problem sometimes mm -hmm. visual effects people like uh, well, what if, you know, well, that's, let, let's, what if we did this instead? And, la, da, 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 da. and it's like, no, our job is to first do our best effort to solve the problem, you know, or let's, let's, and so it's not helpful, let you say, it's not helpful when people get whiny and everything else, but it's definitely not helpful when they're pitching cheaper versions before, or, you know, or simplified thing to a director. <laughs> that's where I'm like going, yeah, okay. <laughs> because I'm trying, we're trying to, solve 
what the director wants at the moment. And they're just so, sometimes the answers are so simple that when you're already steering them in another direction before we've even made an attempt to solve it, is very frustrating. Yeah, that's a good point, very good point. I, I, was, I was gonna say, I tend to, uh, yeah, I, when there's a problem comes up, I try and I think physically put myself um, within, within eyesight of the DP, but not right in front of him. <laughs> if when when the shit's going down how are we going to solve this it's kind of like i know that you guys have this huge wealth of experience and it's one where we all know the stuff that we can do but it's as you say greg it's i'm kind of like no there's there's a solution here that you guys will come up your your minds are already way ahead of all of the problems and the experience you've had of shooting these things and it's like well hang on a sec why don't i just do this well actually maybe it'd be a better shot to do it as as this move instead, and that from problems can come even great greater solutions. So I kind of, as I say, try and put, put myself it, it out of the sort of just just out of the corner of the eye in case it's kind of like that moment's like I'm totally screwed on this, and then I almost will in that kind of instance take the cue. So Rob, what what are you thinking of this? Like okay, great, it brought in. We can now we can now you know problem solve. But as you say, Greg, people are often because everyone has knowledge, they're on the set because they're experienced. So they go, well, we could, you know, put her on the box or we could lower the light or we could, you know, change this. You know, it's like, no, 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 it's, this is what the problem is. Let's try and solve it. And, and uh, but we're, we're always there knowing that we have a, a tool chest, you guys know what's possible. And uh, I think a lot of that is, you know, being, being there as a support to you guys um, is, is a, a lot of the times on what we're doing um is you know is our jobs my example um, just so you know it's like when we're, when we're shooting and we're having problems then there's a new license there to, <laughs> to <go> yeah <laughs> mine is in prep <laughs> and you're like you know like when we're first conceptualizing and designing and coming up with things and people are already like it's a lot of and and sadly another pet peeve a lot of this is in emails right it's not this is sort of if you were in the room together i don't think it would be happening so much and you're like then you're like have to call a producer it's like that person needs to stop writing that stuff and if we have to like, all get together and talk because they're already getting the director's ear into a direction that isn't there yeah etc cetera, et cetera, right <laughs> does this make yeah. sense so that's that's where it's in prep and it's in this kind of world that we're in where people are not in rooms and i don't mean because of covid it's before that um, that's what my movie journey is all about is communication and people don't talk to each other as much anymore. But, all right. Mm -hmm. um, I feel I feel that Jess has got a pet peeve right there. I know I'm looking at you. I guess and actually it's not really a pet peeve because I've actually had really good experience with this on set um, and I think there's probably something that was maybe more of a problem in the past but um you know, it's really important for visual effects supervisors to always get what they need in the schedule, like ahead of time, we've talked about that. Um, but I know, you know, towards, as the days start to wear on, um, you know, and VFX is like the last thing on the schedule on the last day, the last, um, you know, shoot day. And, uh, and then the pressure really to, when it really comes down to whittling, what can we cut out of this day? I feel like it does often fall on the visual effects um, part of the schedule. And, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, and sometimes you know we just deal with that and it's fine. Um, but um, I think, especially with the overtime thing that we sort of touched on, like 
a lot of the things that we need does involve the entire crew. And I just, I, and the GPs that I've worked with in the past actually have been really good about being like, nobody move, is visual effects done? Uh, and, you know, and that is, it just makes it such a more pleasant and productive experience for everybody. Uh, and luckily that has been my experience um, with a lot of DPs. Great. Um, well, while, you know, if anybody has any last questions, throw them in the Q&A. Um, in the meantime, I'd love to know from uh, the VFX folks, you know, what's the future of visual effects? Because we're already at the stage where we have movies like, you know, the new Avatar, which is basically all blue screen and mocap and stuff. And, you know, obviously story is always going to be the first priority. And we're going to keep telling stories that are ultimately like something you can connect to, but technologically and just process wise, um, what do y'all foresee for, you know, the coming five, 10 years? We're already seeing a lot of kind of virtual production stuff starting to take off quite a lot with the, the kind of takeoff of uh, game engines Unreal and, and things like that. Being able to go into a, like a, a, a set with some kind of boxes to show doorways and things like that and look through your iPad or your camera and see your real environment. Um, I touched on it at the beginning of, uh, of um, this Q&A about, um, also this panel, about The Last of Us that we did. And that's kind of something that is already starting to it's find its way into commercials is that is we shot mocap, but we also um, we also shot virtual production so we could get real cameras from Colin Watkinson, our DP for that. Um, he could sit and shoot with uh, mocap actors. Um, he could see on his screen the real environments that we were going to create later on in CG. That would take us another six months to make. Um, but we could already start making those decisions uh, right from, from the shoot day and not um, trying to figure out camera moves in a much more kind of digital way of, of just clocking the camera move and the computer moving around. We could get the nuances. He could use an actual kind of crane um, rig to, to kind of do the crane moves he wanted and all those kind of things. Um, so I think we're already kind of starting to push into some new exciting um, technology in that regard, um, which, is, which has been fun to, to kind of dip my toe in so far. Cool. Yeah, I think also in the same line of virtual production and extended reality stages and things like that, I feel like in productions where the DP and the VFX team have been separated during pre-production, they will more and more start getting together earlier um, because all of those technologies depend on a some pre-production CG build, um, which I think is something that we're, at least in commercials, not used to doing, you know, we happen at the end, not at the beginning. Uh, and I think that in order for the DP to have a creative say uh, from the very start with what is actually gonna be on these virtual stages, um, that relationship will deepen during pre-production, I think. Yeah, it's like location scouting almost. Yeah. You know, it, it's like if you're, if as a DP, if you're not involved in the creation of the PG world that you're gonna be seeing on set, uh, you'll be in real trouble, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. uh, you won't know how to light it because you won't even know what you're walking into. So I think that's definitely going to be an interesting, you know, I, I think it's great. I think it pulls, again, it like, it makes people make decisions too, you know, in, in before you have to shoot it, which I think is great. I, I think being able to, uh, yeah, I think being almost forced to make decisions earlier rather than after the fact, it, it can help you know, storytelling, be more decisive and, and, and some more interesting choices. I was going to say, I, I think, uh, I, sorry, guys, I, I was just going to say, I, I think that the world that, you know, Ollie and, and Jesse, 
you know, we're talking about there is I think that the virtual cinematography, I, I find that whenever a, a DP gets involved actually early in the process, whether we're pre-visiting it, whether it's virtual cameras, I think the more that that technology can get into your guys' hands, and I know you guys are always super busy anyway, actually shooting stuff, um, but it's getting that technology into the world that you relate to. So it ends up feeling like a camera that you're actually walking around with, even if it's in a virtual environment. Um, but then to me, that gives it the authenticity, seeing it through your eyes and, and you giving us those camera moves and that those lensing decisions makes our work, particularly in the, you know, the virtual, particularly in the full CG world, uh, it ends up being, wow, how come this feels so real? Well, it's because you will put down a diagonal do dolly track here. You, you, this, is, this is the move that you would set up in this part of the story as your intro. You would have this kind of move. And you know, a, a, a lot of the people who are working in previews, a lot of them actually even never go to set. So they don't even see that. It's oftentimes the ones who were, you know, camera systems, whatever, who, who understand the set, they make very good previs, you know, artists, uh, or even cinematographers who have become previs artists. But otherwise, I think that we're trying to sort of second guess what would the DP do here? So I, I'm, I'm hoping that the more of what we're seeing gets more into your hands, the whole thing can turn around. So you are involved early in there. Uh, and particularly, I think one of the great opportunities are on these all CG spots, which we're seeing more of because things can't get shot. Uh, it's the fact of getting you guys involved in it because then, you know, we, we can create all of this world, but all of that really critical piece of the storytelling, you know, comes from you guys, which is, you know, so that's where I'm hoping it's going. If there's more of that collaboration and the technology is more user-friendly for you guys, and then it should elevate everything, you know, that we're doing. It's actually related to a, a question that was just asked. Uh, you may want to wait quick because oh, yeah. I represent the opposite viewpoint. <laughs> <laughs> so, because it's about the future. Uh, it's funny because I was saying, like, the world I don't know is high end streaming shows like Alec knows, Mandalorian, Watchmen, you know, that's good to everybody, this huge visual effects world and what we know is going on there. But what I'm hoping the future is. <laughs> is that visual effects gets more involved in telling small, simple stories, all right? In other words, that's where, especially as things get more affordable and directors are doing simple stories or trying to tell a story and they can't, they can't, back to Mauritius, we couldn't put the actor on this rope bridge. You know, there, there was no way they were gonna be able to perform. They might go out there, but they'd be too scared. But um, that, that because people are thinking visual effects is too big, too expensive, and it can be used more and more to tell subtle and helpful storytelling. So, yeah. in, so it's basic. Yeah. I have a root in independent films. I still shoot independent films. I still, I just think that that's also, I'm hoping that there's a future that more visual effects gets utilized in very simple ways to help us tell these small, simple stories. And that's it. Yeah, that's actually uh, related to another question. Um, we've got time for maybe just one or two more. Um, to the visual effects team, what can a new director do to begin incorporating VFX into their projects? It, is it important to learn After Effects or Nuke, or do I just find uh, VFX collaborators? And that's kind of related to somebody else's question, which was since visual effects and physical photography are becoming more and more integrated, would any of you recommend that DPs become more familiar with visual effects softwares? So, you know, what is it, you know, 
how much do people outside the VFX department, how much should we be learning these softwares and um, how much should it be just hiring the right people? Um, I wouldn't say that any kind of DP or director needs to be, unless they love and want to be doing it themselves, need to kind of know the software. I think there's there's obviously a sliding scale of, of complexity in visual effects. There's some stuff that's super, super tricky and hard. And if you're writing a script or you're thinking of ideas and you have those ideas in your script, then it's either going to cost you some money or you're going to have to... Um, uh, figure out how you're going to do it for uh, get the idea across um, from the page without showing the creature or, or something like that. So I don't think there's any necessary um, any needs for people to to do that. But I would say an understanding of what is hard, what is easier. If there is something hard, like um, what's the film, the John Krasinski film, uh, The Quiet Place, where it's, it's all about a, a big scary monster, but you barely ever see see the thing. So I think there's there's other ways that you can kind of get around um, having certain ideas um, and still getting them off the page and getting your film made without having to spend weeks and weeks and weeks um, in, in kind of a heavy uh, visual effects pipeline. Um, so I'd say like kind of knowing what you want to create um, and knowing the complexity of it. And like I said, it's a very sliding scale. There's a lot of easy stuff that you can do and people and, and you can find people to do it relatively cheaply online. Um, there's message boards and job postings that you can have people um, do that work for you and then there's lots of harder stuff so I'd say just knowing um, what you want to kind of get made and, and having always having that as a driving force of, of what you're trying to kind of create. Yeah to, to add to that I think as, from a cinematographer's point of view I, I kind of liken it to the, the camera right it's like um, you as a cinematographer I don't have to know every single menu option in the, you know, the Alexa or the Sony or whatever camera I'm using. But what I do need to know is exactly how that camera works and, and how it captures images and how to use it to tell a story. It's the same with visual effects software in a way. It's like, I don't need to know which buttons to press to, to key a green screen, but I need to know how they, what they can do and what they cannot do with that software. And, and I need to understand and I need to listen as a cinematographer to them, uh, what's the best way I can shoot this material to make your life uh, either easier or, or just make it doable or possible. Um, so I think it's like the overall understanding of what is possible, what is possible. You know, you, it is as a cinematographer and Greg knows this is like, it's important for us to also think about money as well, you know, and then how much things cost. And, and yeah, you have to understand certain effects are going to be crazy if you ask for something, you know, there's, there's like, if you can do it in camera, do it in camera. Uh, you just, I think it's just the general knowledge of, 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 of what, what is and isn't possible. And then from a directing standpoint, I, I'm not a director, but I, you know, I've come up the last decade with a lot of younger directors who, who've gotten into different kinds of filmmaking and different kinds of visual effects. I don't know many, I mean, I think there's certainly people out there who, who, who know the, the program, you know, After Effects and Nuke and all stuff. But, but I think there's also a lot of young up and coming visual effects people who want to work and make interesting things with young directors. You know, I mean, Code 8, the movie I did is a perfect example of a, you know, we've made this little short film for like 10,000 bucks. We put it on Indiegogo, made millions of dollars on Indiegogo made a feature, this little tiny four-person visual effects house who had never done a movie before in Toronto had basically had helped out on the 
the short film, you know, that was their kind of pitch almost. And then all of a sudden, you know, we made this much larger movie that was number one on Netflix for this little tiny visual effects house. And, and it was all through young director, young visual effects guys linking up together. The director knew what he wanted. He knew, he didn't know how to achieve it, but he knew what he wanted. And he, and he met the right people who were hungry and, and interested and willing to kind of take a chance. Um, so I think there's, a, I mean, there's so many people out there who, who want to collaborate, I think. Cool. I don't think you need to know the tools, but because I do want, I looked at the trailer for Code 8. Mm. <laughs> and it's really, it's good. I want to see the show because because of our dialogue the other day. I just think it's the, can't, you know, and it's from you and it's from a director. But the point is that like when the guys drop out of the ship, like it's it's the visual style. It's like this tilt yeah. and boom, it comes down with yeah. it. Who thought of that? Yeah. That's very cool. And so when you're asking as a DP, it's you don't have to get concerned with Maya and all these elements right. of doing these things. You have to stay still visual, right? It's like, hey, that's a CJ element, but let's not just shoot a wide shot of them dropping. Let's make right. this a tool, you know. And then right. that's in the, that show. That's why that's so successful. And that's what you need to know. So, so I am a little bit different. I do think knowledge is freedom. <laughs> like I'll look at. I remember seeing one of the making ofs for 1917. I'm going, how the heck did they do that shot? <laughs> and then I see, not the making of, I saw the trailer of him running in the field, but then I see how they did it. They put a road in, they put a, you know, an edge arm in there. And it's like, whoa, I would never have thought of that because I don't get to work in that kind of money, <laughs> right? And it's like, oh, and then they wiped, they erased out the road and they put the grass in. It's like, wow. but now I have the knowledge so I in other words it's good to know how all these things are being done because it does open up your mind to some other possibilities I also think yeah. being able to pull it off cheaply is a limited knowledge some people can only go to that that route and it's like no oh, you could do I could do this yeah so anyway yeah I always um always found there was uh you know the director Gareth Edwards he did a uh who ended up directing one of the Star Wars pictures um, he he was one of the a, a rare visual effects artists who ended up directing big feature films. He, there, there was a, a project he did just in answer to the a new director to begin incorporating visual effects into their projects. Um, he did a movie called Monsters, which I think he did all the visual yeah. effects on. Um, yeah, it's cool. What what I found interesting about that was that the way that he shot it was 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 it, it had all of the storytelling. It had all of the all of the pieces in, but the visual effects were shot in a way that he knew how simply uh, it would be to put together. The shots were actually put together very simply, but in a way it was just classic film moves of reveals onto the monster. Let's put the monster back in the distance more, but our frame specifically for that. And again, okay, we all know as visual effects artists, wow, he's, he's got out of the whole three-dimensional issues here of a, of a, of a moving camera. So he didn't just shoot it all locked off, which is the, oh, well, to make it simple, you lock the camera off. He kept his camera moving, but then his decisions as to where to put things uh, meant that the visual effects were actually very simple uh, to do. Um, and so 
you know, knowledge again, it's, <laughs> it's knowledge, it's knowledge is freedom. And, and, and it was like, it's about these big monsters and it doesn't have to be 90% of the frame is a full CG rendered monster that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to do. It was done very simply and is put back in space, beautifully composited, all of that. It did a really nice job on it, but it was much more those decisions about how I'm going to shoot this, how I'm going to tell the story. In the back of my mind, I, I know I don't have the money to do it, so I have to have to do that. So I think that's always a good case study for uh, uh, looking at that. Um, you know how to incorporate it. If you do something with monsters, you don't have. It doesn't have to be that expensive. There are solutions, and I think. Going back to what we we're talking about with commercials, it's our, our limitation, of course, money. It's often like it's, and we got seven days to do it. So it's like, okay, how can we plan to do that ahead so we can give the impression of this epic shot um, and do it in a way that we're actually going to deliver it, you know, on time? Cool. Um, well, I want to keep hearing about this for, you know, 80 more hours, but we are kind of out of time. Um, so I just want to thank all of our, like, just truly incredible panelists for just spilling your guts about everything you know. This was, like, so interesting. I was really eating up every word that you guys were saying. Um, and thank you to MPC and Jade and Amelia and Dylan for just doing all the logistical sides of all this. Um, yeah, and thanks for everybody for showing up and listening to this really cool panel. Yay! Yeah, thank you, everybody. Okay, thanks for having us.